Hello and welcome to Contact Chai. On Sunday, August 7th, Rabbi Lizzie led an interfaith Tisha B'Av service with Pastor Jonathan Brooks of Lawndale Community Christian Church. Pastor Jonathan, or Pastor Jay as he is affectionately known, is a renowned artist and community activist. On this somber holiday commemorating the many exiles and tragedies of the Jewish people, Rabbi Lizzie and Pastor Jay spoke passionately on the Jewish history and black present of North Lawndale. Now, take it away, Rabbi and uh, Pastor. And you immediately hit it off and click, and it's just like, we got to figure out what's going on. And that's what happened with me and Lizzie. So um, I'm thankful that I had no clue what three years later would, would bring. Um, and this is just the beginning, y'all. Yes. Yes. So we're going to do this thing tag team, but I'm tagging her in first. And then uh, after she's done, I'm going to come up and share a couple of thoughts. And then we're going to uh, do some more songs together. That'll be the way we close out. All right. So y'all right. give God some praise once again for my sister. Oh, Rabbi Lizzie. Thank you. Thank you. Sister. Thank Yeah, I, I, from the look of it, you have an incredible leadership team of people who lead you in worship every week. And this is a phenomenal moment. And it's been a pleasure to get to know at least one of your clergy team very well over the course of the last couple of years, hopefully better. But you've got a very talented, very wise, very powerful person over here that I'm so grateful. I, you know this, yeah? You know this. Um, all right, so I'm eager to talk, and I know all of us are eager to talk about this neighborhood and the history of this neighborhood and the, and the present and the future of this neighborhood. Um, but as you've already heard, oh, by the way, hi, I'm Lizzie. I'm, I'm from Hyde Park. I grew up on the south side, um, not far from here. I was born at Michael Reese Hospital, which I feel like I, I share in common with at least a few of you. <laughs> um, so... I want to I go back in history a little bit because today is, as you've heard, a, a sad Jewish holiday. It's a Jewish holiday you probably never heard of, but it's kind of a big one. It's called Tisha B'Av. Raise your hand if you've heard of Tisha B'Av. Okay. Some of the Jews, they're like, I think I've heard. All right. Only because so, you told me. Tisha B'Av is Hebrew for the ninth of Av, the ninth day of the Hebrew month of Av. The Jews have a Hebrew calendar. We all operate on two calendars, the Gregorian calendar and the Hebrew calendar. Today is the ninth of the month of Av. By the way, we're in the year 5782, if you were wondering, on the Hebrew calendar. And whereas most Jewish holidays are joyful, and I, we have a very joyful tradition, and I would love to come back any other day and talk to you about Hanukkah or Purim or Shabbat or Rosh Hashanah or any of the other really joyful Jewish holidays Tisha B'Av is the day on the calendar where we commemorate loss and we mourn. Um, and it's a, a sort of backward-looking holiday that starts um, not even with the destruction, multiple destructions of Jerusalem, but actually like starts in the Bible when the 12 spies are sent to go scout out the land of Israel to see if it will be a good place for the Israelites to go. And they get scared and they turn away and they don't have faith and that generation dies in the desert. You know, so, 
And then it compounds story after story, the first destruction of the temple in Jerusalem, the second destruction of the temple in Jerusalem in the year 70 CE. And you know, Jerusalem was like the beating heart center of the Jewish people for for at least a thousand years. And you know this, of course, because your favorite Jew, Jesus, right, (laughs) preached and walked and taught and had disciples there. That was where the action was. Right? And so with the destruction of the second temple, well, thousands and thousands of people died and were forced out of their homes, and um, the Jewish diaspora began. Um, And that chapter of Jewish history that was based around a sort of vital center in one place in Jerusalem was over. And so for the next 2,000 years, Jews would look toward the east and pray toward Jerusalem hoping, praying to one day go back, but making their homes in all kinds of other places all over the world. And so the Jews spread out, and we went to Europe and to Asia and to South America and to Africa, certainly all over the Middle East and, of course, to Europe, and built homes and created lives in all of those places. And, of course, when they got to all of those places, after a while, we took on the customs and the dress and the food and the music and the language in many of those places. And so that's why actually, you know, despite what it may look like in a given moment, the Jewish people is not one particular race. We are every race and color um, on the globe because we made homes in places around the globe. And wherever Jews have been, there has also been anti-Semitism, like anti-Jewish violence, negative feelings, scapegoating, um, conspiracy theories, stereotyping, harassment, discrimination, violence, and murder. That's right. The same goals, different gods, same ways of getting there. So this morning, I'm going to be talking about sort of where we're coming at this holiday and this neighborhood from our story, but I know you'll hear echoes of your story too. Um, And so Tisha B'Av, this holiday, mourns not just those ancient tragedies, but actually like tragedies along the way in all of those places, the Crusades in Europe, Jewish people getting expelled from basically every country in Europe, England, Spain, the Spanish Inquisition, France, Germany, of course, the murder of six million Jews in the Holocaust. Um, So this is what the Jewish people walk around with. And it would be very easy, though, it would be very easy to tell the Jewish story through this lens of repeated persecutions and displacement and tragedy. It would be easy to tell that story, but that's not the story we tell, and that's not why we're here today. Spiritually, we're called to responsibility. Let me say that again, because in the context of everything I just said, that doesn't sound like it should be the response, but spiritually... We're called to responsibility. So my teacher, Rabbi Alan Liu, may his memory be a blessing, writes, when things go bad, there is an enormous temptation to blame it on externals. The evil of others, the unlucky turn of events. Spiritually, however, we are called to resist this temptation, no matter how strong it may be and no matter how strongly rooted in fact or reason it may seem, spiritually, we are called to responsibility. So say that with me. Spiritually, we're called to responsibility. (laughs) 
That's right. So when Jerusalem was destroyed, our sages ask in our holy books, why did this happen to us? And here's the answer they give us, and I'll give you a hint. It wasn't the Babylonians or the Romans. Jerusalem was destroyed, they write, because of our sins, our shortcomings, our failure to take seriously God's mandate to care for the widow and the orphan and the stranger and the poor and the vulnerable. As a people, we let ideological disagreements, we let fear distance ourselves from each other. We became alienated from one another. They say that hatred, wanton, rampant hatred and separation became the norm in ancient Israel. So no wonder when the Romans came in, we didn't have a fight left in us. We were too busy fighting each other. So what the sages take away from history is that we can't let fear and hatred get the best of us. Because when we do, the consequences are devastating. And so this holiday isn't actually about looking at history. It's about looking at ourselves against the backdrop of history. You know, sort of like we Photoshop ourselves into it. And we ask, how can I avoid repeating the same mistakes that led my ancestors to such pain? And how can I avoid inflicting that pain, God forbid, on anyone else in the future? Okay, so here we are today. Here we are today, because 2,000 years ago, this thing happened in Jerusalem. But 60 years ago, not 60 years ago, this thing happened here in North Lawndale. But in Jerusalem, we left by force, and in North Lawndale, we left by choice. And, and I'm going to talk about why, because it's complicated. Because it's complicated, the reasons are not simple, but we have to talk about it. And we have to talk about it today, especially of all days. That's our job today. And because many of us may not have been there, although I know some of you were, and I can't wait to have the discussion with you after. Um, but even if we weren't there, we still have to see ourselves in that history. We have to claim it and own it because we're part of that story, right? And so we recognize today our role, spiritually responsible in healing, because in this moment, we can actually heal the choices that our ancestors made, right? specifically the choices that the Jewish community made here in North Lawndale, which at a, at a point was 90% Jewish in this neighborhood, 90%. So, okay, now let's talk about North Lawndale. Do you guys mind if I take off my jacket? You guys are casual in here. Okay. I, you know, I know sometimes church is fancy. The spirit is fancy in here. They, oh, thank you. Oh, stop. Stop that. <laughs> For 50 years, North Lawndale was the most concentrated Jewish community anywhere in Chicago. So between 1910 and 1960, about 100,000, 100, 110,000 Jewish people lived in North Lawndale, which for reference, that's as many Jewish people as live in the city of Chicago today. In this neighborhood, most of the Jews in Chicago now live in the suburbs. So... Um, let's see, most of the people who lived here um, were first or second generation, and most of them had come from um, poor towns in Eastern Europe called shtetls, you know, where they were fleeing 
um, anti-Semitic violence, and they were looking for economic opportunity in America, like so many immigrants. And so I know, I know there are folks in the house who remember this time, and if I get anything wrong or you remember it differently, I trust your memory more than I trust the books I read. So really, like, come and, and share about your experience with us when we talk. Um, what I'm going to share with you, I just sort of gleaned by, I have a little book sitting over here called The Jewish History of the West Side of Chicago. So it describes a neighborhood where Yiddish, which is like a combination of German and Hebrew and Aramaic, which was spoken by Jews all over Europe, that like Yiddish was on signs all over the streets in this neighborhood, that you could hear it in the streets in different dialects, in dozens of different dialects. This neighborhood was home to 70 synagogues. 70. For reference, in the city of Chicago today, there are about 40 synagogues total. And for Jews who know the geography of the city, that includes the 27 synagogues in West Rogers Park. Okay? So we've also seen decline. Um, in this neighborhood on Jewish holidays, you see people like strolling through the streets, going to their grandparents' house, eating meals at one another's homes. If it was Sukkot, the Jewish holiday of booths with the, with the, you know, the palm fronds and an etrog, which is like this lemon thing that people would shake during the holiday, still do shake during the holiday of Sukkot. People would build Sukkot in their front and backyards, which are these little booths you stay in for seven days during the Feast of Booths, what we call Sukkot. This neighborhood was home to mom-and-pop stores and delis and labor unions, social and athletic clubs, political groups, affinity groups from the different parts of the old country, Yiddish newspapers, kosher butchers, fishmongers, bakeries, fruit stores, theaters, department stores, a big shoe store, bookstores, banquet halls, movie theaters, Jewish bookstores, convenience stores called dime stores back in the day. There were multiple Jewish old age homes and homes for kids. I'm so glad you shared that story about learning to swim in one of them. There was a hospital that was opened here in 1912 for Eastern European immigrants who weren't welcome or didn't feel comfortable at the German secular Jewish hospital, Michael Rees. That hospital is called Mount Sinai, right? And the Jewish community still is the largest donor and funder of Mount Sinai. So in some ways, we didn't leave, yeah. but it's not, it's, it's a complicated story. It's a complicated story, I know. This, is this still the 24th Ward? Yeah. So the 24th Ward at that time was the most reliably progressive democratic ward, not just in the city, but in the country. This ward was called out by President Roosevelt for being called, called in, called out, he shouted out for being, so, um, for being so reliably democratic at that time. During the Great Depression, people took care of each other here in the 30s. This neighborhood was full of local charities and synagogues functioned, as I think churches do now, as health and loan and welfare centers. And poverty was very real for a lot of the Jews who lived here. And during that time, during the 30s, many people lost their homes and moved out onto the street with their belongings when they couldn't pay their mortgages. People knew each other's stories. I'm sure it's true now. Successes and struggles. In the evening, people sat out on their front porches and schmoozed. On hot nights when there wasn't air conditioning, people would take their pillows and go sleep in Douglas or Garfield Park or along Douglas or Independence Boulevard. Right? It felt safe. People trusted each other. So why did they leave? 
sounds like paradise. I'm sure it wasn't paradise, but it sounds like this cultural center. Why did our people leave? A few things. One, the door to the American dream was open to them. So in 1940s, in the 1940s, when Jewish soldiers started coming back from the war, the GI Bill allowed them funds to go to college, buy houses, and they were enticed by the possibility of a bigger home with a grassy lawn and a car and a driveway to put in it. And this, these things, the suburbs, was be, were being created. And they were being invited into that. The door was open. For thousands of years, Jews had looked for a place to call home. They went. I want to say also, it is profoundly unfair and wrong that those same funds were not nearly as available to the black soldiers who were returning from World War II to go to college and buy homes. And that is a shameful part of American history. And it also explains part of why Jews left this neighborhood. So two, government urban planning. You've all heard of redlining, right? Right? There were some neighborhoods that the a government body, the Homeowner Loan Corporation, they were doing this all over America, designing the future of America with green lines around desirable neighborhoods and red lines around hazardous neighborhoods. And they were encouraging white folks to move into desirable neighborhoods and encouraging African Americans to move into the neighborhoods that had been redlined. And in the middle of the night sometimes, Jews would get phone calls. Your property value is going to go down. you got to get out now. They left. They left because of government planning. They left because the banks offered terrible and predatory contract loans to the African Americans who moved in. So they had incentive to get the Jews out of these houses so that they could make money off the new loans they would be offering to the new residents of the neighborhood. And in doing so, strip those residents oftentimes of wealth and homes. The, right, like the, the, impact, the impact goes on until today. 80% of all of the neighborhoods that were redlined back in the 30s and 40s still are, are, are plagued by poverty today, do not have the same um, access and do not have the same resources as neighborhoods that were labeled in the green. But finally, people left because of fear. Some people left because of fear. Some people left because of all the reasons I just mentioned, and some people left because of racism and stereotyping. And you know, just as well as I know, and the Jewish people should know and should have known then that any stereotype is false. Any attempt to say about any group of people, they're coming, come on. We should have known better. We should have known better. And so Jews in America are as guilty of racism as any other group. And, um, and there were some who held out. You know, there were some who really held out. By the 60s, there were about 11,000, 11,000 Jews still in this neighborhood. And that was about the same number at that time of African Americans living in this neighborhood. And at that time, for a short window, we were living side by side, eating in the same restaurants, going to the same schools, eating in the same delis, going to the same movies, even falling in love. And it didn't last long. By the mid-60s, most of the, all the Jews had moved away, most all. 
and so did their businesses, their stores, their synagogues, their after-school programs, their kosher butchers, their restaurants. And some of them moved, but some of them are just gone. I'm sure you're familiar with some of the buildings that they left. Maybe we're in one of them right now. I want you to raise your hand for a moment. If you had an ancestor, parent, grandparent, great-grandparent, who came to Chicago because they were looking for a better life, because they were looking for a better life for themselves, their children, look around. That's not a Jewish thing or a black thing. That's a people thing. And I think, (laughs) thank you. That was the hope, certainly, of black Americans who moved to this neighborhood. They wanted a better life for themselves and their children, and I think they hoped to be neighbors with the Jews who lived here. And that is the saddest missed opportunity for those Jewish people, because we could have been your neighbors. We didn't stick around to welcome your grandparents as they moved in next door, to build friendships and relationships. Pastor Jay's kids could have babysat for my kids. You know? Like... Mishkan doesn't have a building. Maybe we could have had our services on Friday night in your gym. Maybe we still will. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Right? Most of the Jews who left this neighborhood didn't have the language at that time to understand that what was happening to them was part of a phenomenon and... Um, had never really happened to them before anywhere else, and that was that they were becoming white, right? And beginning... Many of the Jews at that time didn't even have the language to express what was happening to them that had never happened anywhere else in the world really before, but was happening in America at that time, and that was that we were becoming white. Now, as I said, not everybody... You're. You walk around Chicago and talk to enough Jewish people, you will talk to black and Latinx and Arab and Jews of all, and Asian Jews. Um, But all of the Jews of Eastern European descent um, at that time in this neighborhood were benefiting from the privileges of whiteness. And so today, today, we are called to responsibility. We're called to responsibility. We have an opportunity to heal. In Jewish tradition, we call it tikkun, tikkun olam, healing the world, little piece by little piece, our little piece that we can do. And we can actually make tikkun for the choices made by previous generations in light of what we know now. In becoming friendly with your pastor, I was very cautious about presuming, I am very cautious about presuming what that tikkun looks like, what that healing looks like. This is your neighborhood now, right? And you're doing great things here. It was incredible to drive down the street and see just the buildings that Lawndale Community Church is responsible for putting up and taking care of people. It's incredible. And there are folks here today with us involved in many projects with that goal in mind, with healing and investment and support and partnership in mind. I can't wait to hear the vision that you have for this neighborhood, Pastor Jay and all of you. And I can't wait for us to be part of helping create it. Not for you, with you, and also for us, and for all of us 
so we can heal and learn from and grow with one another and heal our history. So I hope this is a beginning. Thank you. Y'all see why I love that lady right there. Um, we've had many of those conversations on our own. Um, tough ones where I, I never really thought I'd be able to have those kind of conversations um, that openly with someone, and I'm thankful for it. And so what we wanted to do today was, was set kind of the imagery. Where have we been? How do we get to the point to where we are today? But now that we're here, our scriptures have something to say about what we do from here. And what we want to do is we want to take that history, we want to take that truth, we want to take the fact that God, in God's infinite wisdom and amazing timing, saw this as the time, as we are celebrating our universe different but the same, for us to unite together and do something different for the same God. So, a little further back in Lamentations, because we've been dealing with Lamentations 5.21, which we read earlier, where it talks about returning, right? Restore us, O oh God, to our days of old. That's right, why Lizzie was reminding us. There's a way that this could have been. So what's the plan, God? What, what do we do moving forward? And what I want to do is remind those of us who remain. Those of us who still live here, that although things may not be what we desire them to be, or can I get a witness that things are not exactly how we want them to be in North Lawndale? They're great people, they're great things, they're great churches, they're great organizations, and yet there are some difficult things that we deal with day in and day out. But the good thing about it is that the God that we're talking about has promised to be with us. So we're going to be getting out of here in a second. I want to say this to you. In Lamentations 3, because Lamentations is a book of lament, right? They said this is a sad day for them. I was like, Rabbi, you want me? We're going to have bass guitars. Mario going to be getting it in. And she's like, normally we don't have music today. I'm like, uh. I was like, you know, maybe afterwards we can eat and do like a barbecue. And she was like, it's a fasting day for us. <laughs> next time, next time, next time. But what I did realize was that we share, nestled in this book of lament, this message of hope, this reminder that if we will trust in the name of the Lord, if we will trust in the power of God, that everything will be all right. So there's a response. There's a response from those of us who now live in North Lawndale as a majority African-American community. There's a response 
for our Jewish brothers and sisters whose ancestors lived in this same neighborhood, who have so many memories, who are funding the hospital that many of us will get rushed to if we got sick right now. There's a binding here in Lamentations 3 that reminds us that the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. What does that mean? It means that no matter what decisions we make, no matter how many mistakes we make, no matter whether we did what we should have done or we're looking back going, I wish we would have done something different. Even if we're not loving to one another, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. So what should our response be? It should be leaning on the steadfast love of the Lord. Let's remember that even when we fall short, the love of God still remains. He says his mercies never cease. His his love never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They are new every morning. What is our response? Our response is that every day we wake up, every time our feet hit the floor, every time we take another breath into our lungs, we are receiving the mercy of God into our bodies, into our spirits, and into our minds. And since God is merciful, we can rejoice in the Lord even in the midst of suffering even in the midst of struggle, even in the midst of mistakes, even in the midst of pain, because morning by morning, somebody say morning by morning, new mercies we see, morning by morning, new love we see, morning by morning, new grace we receive, morning by morning, new hope we hold on to, morning by morning, new relationships he reigns. And if we'll just trust that that God has not changed, We'll know the response and what we should do next. Lastly, he says this. He says that the Lord reminds us that after morning by morning new mercies I see, we can simply say this. Great is your faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness faithfulness. Great is your faithfulness, God. We don't know what the future holds, but great is your faithfulness. We don't know what will become of this relationship, but great is your faithfulness. We don't know what will happen tomorrow. We don't know what will happen in the future, but we know Great is your faithfulness. So let's share our faith. Let's rebuild our communities. Let's restore a sense of hope in ourselves. Let's join together. Let's support one another in response to the fact that God is faithful. And if we'll hold on to God's faithfulness, then we'll hold on to the hope that comes from him. When I was in the Chicago Children's Choir many years ago, I had the opportunity to learn so many songs in different languages. I learned songs that were from Africa and Asia. I learned cultural songs, including many Jewish songs. I had the opportunity 
to share at a Shabbat service for Mishkan Chicago when we were in the middle of the pandemic, so it was online. And at the end, I surprised them and started singing a song I learned in Chicago Children's Choir called Shalom Haverim. And I could see their faces through, like, you see everybody in little boxes, they're like, this little black guy from <laughs> Yes. And what I, y'all know me very well, as we get ready to go, and we hold on to this idea that we have the same goals and the same God, just different ways of getting there. I want us to remember that in a very tangible way. Shabbat Replay is a production of Mishkan Chicago. Our theme music was composed and performed by Kalman Strauss. You can always see where and when our next service will be on our calendar. There's a link in the show notes. And if you appreciated the program, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. I know you've heard it before, but it really does help. On behalf of Team Mishkan, thank you for listening.